I guess what we do is just drive around this circle here. Should be the second left exit. There's the hotel. Hey, look, kids. There's Big Ben and there's Parliament. A couple days after I got back from our trip to Britain, a friend of mine asked me what it was like driving over there. I looked my friend straight in the eyes and responded, as I often do, with a humorous remark, or at least an attempt at a humorous remark. I said that I can't believe that it's actually legal for people from America or from anywhere else on earth where we drive on the right side of the road to just show up in Britain, rent a car, and hit the road. In a world where so many things are restricted and regulated, somehow it's still okay to show up in a country where they do everything backward and they happily turn you loose on the roads. My friend chuckled, uh, but the more I thought about what I said, the more I realized that there was some truth to it. Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. My first experience driving on the left side of the road, the right side of the car, was in Ireland in 2012, and I remember pulling out of the rental car lot with my pregnant wife in the passenger seat and both of my parents in the back seat, and I remember feeling more awkward behind the wheel in that moment than I did even when I was 15 years old and just learning how to drive. But on that trip to Ireland, I overcame the fear and I did it. I did the driving. And my friend, just last week, I did it again. And just like in 2012, my wife was next to me in the passenger seat, although not pregnant this time. And it wasn't my parents in the back seat. This time, it was my two kids, my six-year-old son, who technically was with us in the 2012 trip to Ireland, although he was in the belly, and also in the back seat was my three-year-old daughter. The reality is that it's perfectly legal for Americans to rent and drive cars in Britain, no matter how potentially dangerous or scary it may be. I've now done it twice, and both times I have gotten myself and my family and the car back in one piece, and you, my friend, you can do it too, but do you have the guts? (laughs) Even though we'd already been in the UK for four days at the time we picked up the car, we chose to go back to the airport, to Gatwick Airport, to rent the car. There are satellite offices, car rental offices away from the airport, but we found the cost to be much higher at those other locations and the availability of car seats we found at the smaller locations was a problem for some reason. So we did our research, we weighed our options and going back to Gatwick Airport to rent the car just made the most sense. And our destination was Hove, which is in the very southernmost portion of the UK. Gatwick Airport is due south of London, so the airport was on the way to where we were headed anyway, so we didn't lose much time. In fact, I don't think we really lost any time going back to the airport to rent the car. 
In doing our online research, we found that Enterprise was the best overall deal, and we were very, very pleased, in fact, with the service. This isn't a commercial for Enterprise. I'm not receiving any compensation. We were just very well taken care of, and I want to recognize the folks at Enterprise, especially the staff at the airport at Gatwick, for taking such great care of us, both when we picked up the car and again when we dropped it back off before we flew home. The car itself was very cheap to rent, about nine pounds or roughly $12 a day for the car, just for the car itself before any of the add-ons. Speaking of add-ons, GPS is, is all but mandatory these days. And in fact, I couldn't just get over uh, the fact that back in 1989, my dad drove our family all over the UK with Obviously, no GPS back then, just my mom navigating in the front seat with paper maps that they had gotten from AAA before we left home. Absolutely no idea how they pulled that off. There it is, there it is, there it is. I know. I can't seem to get over to the left, honey. I'll try next time. Sorry. We'll get out of this jam in a minute. Kids, Big Ben, Parliament, again. All the car rental companies will offer GPS, built-in GPS as an add-on, but there's a good chance you won't actually need to rent a GPS system. We were just fine using our iPhones, and in fact, the car we rented uh, had Apple CarPlay, which made it even easier. It brought up the routes and all the information from our phone right up to the screen there, and my wife could plug in the destination, and of course, we could also play music for the kids and have a good time. If you don't trust your phone, though, you can add a GPS, a built-in reliable GPS to the car for around 10 to 15 pounds per day. Car seats. Car seat laws and car seat availability vary around the world. Honestly, we didn't even bother to look up the car seat laws in Britain before we left because we knew we were going to have our kids strapped in just as safely as they would be at home. Our son weighs about 50 pounds, which is plenty big for just a simple booster seat that works with any standard seat belt. And we managed to pack our suitcases light enough that we were actually able to fit his booster seat in our suitcase. Uh, if you can't pull that off, though, most airlines will allow you to check a car seat at no extra charge. We flew Norwegian Air, and that is their policy. Our daughter, on the other hand, she's a bit smaller. She's just a hair over 30 pounds, and she still requires the larger full uh, five-point harness car seat. And we didn't even consider for a second bringing her car seat from home. It's just way too bulky. We reserved a car seat for her through Enterprise, and it cost about nine pounds a day, roughly 12 bucks, which is money very well spent in my opinion, although it is kind of silly when you think about it that renting a car seat costs exactly the same money per day as it does to rent the actual car. Now this car seat example, whether to bring the car seat or to not bring the car seat, uh, that's just a solid example of, of my travel philosophy in general. I like to keep it simple and I'm willing to pay for convenience when it makes sense. Bringing my son's booster seat really didn't add much, if any, inconvenience to the trip. So we didn't mind bringing it along to, to save some money. But my daughter's bulkier, much bulkier car seat, on the other hand, could have really cramped our style, lugging it across the world and back through the airports and the train stations and having it take up space in our Airbnb. So in that case, happy to pay for the convenience of not having to travel with that big car seat. 
Okay, so we've got navigation all squared away. The kids are buckled up safe. It is time to hit the road. Britain has very good roads, and they're very well maintained, plenty of signage and roadside services. Of course, the one glaring difference between driving in Britain versus driving in the United States or anywhere else in Europe for that matter is that in Britain, they drive on the left side of the road and the steering wheel is on the right side of the car. Like I said, this wasn't my first time driving on the left. In our 2012 trip, I spent two weeks driving around Ireland with my wife and my parents where I drove literally every single mile of that trip. So I went into this most recent trip with a decent amount of experience, relatively speaking. And fortunately, seven years removed from that Ireland trip, it actually it came back to me fairly quickly. I was, I was real pleased about that and a little bit surprised, honestly. But I'll I'll never forget that that first time in Ireland, pulling away from that rental car place. Everything just feels wrong. The right-hand side of the car, that was really what threw me off the most in the beginning. Because when you're used to driving a car with the steering wheel on the left side, your brain wants your body to be in the left half of the lane. And when you're suddenly in a car with the wheel on the right, you find yourself drifting, drifting to the left as your brain tries to push your, put your body in the left half of the lane. If you take a look at the rental cars in the lot in Britain or in Ireland, you're going to see a lot of scratches up and down the left side of the cars and lots of banged up rims there on that passenger side, the left side of the car. That's from us Americans doing our best to drive around Britain, to drive around Ireland and drifting to the left. There isn't a cure really for this problem other than experience. Uh, If possible, try to avoid driving on highly congested roads for a little while if you can avoid it. Give your brain some time to recalibrate. It will happen. It doesn't take that long, but there is certainly a learning curve that you're going to have to power through and get that experience. We know Big Ben. Parliament. If you're doing the driving and you have a nervous spouse in the passenger seat, or if your spouse is doing the driving and you are the nervous spouse in the passenger seat, my best advice is to simply give each other a break. You're going to be on edge for a while. Uh, Both of your minds are going to be playing tricks on you. I remember my wife cringing every time I would make a right-hand turn because to her, it looked like I was going to crash into parked cars or whatever happened to be on the side of the road. Take it easy on each other. Keep the yelling to a minimum. Take a break when you need to. It does get easier, and it's a great feeling when you finally settle in and get comfortable on the wrong side. You've got this, my friend. You can do it. If I can, you can too. One question you'll need to answer very honestly before you rent a car in Britain is how well can you drive a stick shift? Because unless you specifically request an automatic, you can expect to get a car with a manual transmission. An automatic will cost you more. In some cases, can cost quite a bit more. But unless you are proficient in driving a manual, it's going to be money well spent. If you don't know how to drive a stick, uh, your first time driving in Britain is not the time to learn. If you can't drive a stick, but you're absolutely dead set on not spending the extra money for an automatic when you go to Britain, I recommend do what you can to find a way to learn 
before you go. Find a friend with a stick shift car you can borrow or figure out some other way to learn before you go. Because when you get in that car for the first time in Britain, you're going to have enough going through your mind. You're going to have enough to think about without having to worry about learning to drive a stick. Look, kids, forget it. And in case you were wondering, the location of the pedals on the car are the same as they are at home. In an automatic, the gas is on the right, the brake is on the left. And in a manual, gas on the far right, clutch on the far left, and the brake in the middle. And on the manual transmission, the car's gear shift pattern, it's the same whether your steering wheel is on the right or the left-hand side of the car. So that means you're going to be shifting in the opposite direction of what you're used to. At home, when the steering wheel is on the left, first gear is closest to you and you shift away as you move up through the gears. With the steering wheel on the right-hand side of the car in Britain, first gear is going to be furthest from you and you're going to shift towards yourself. The gear shift's going to get closer to you as you shift up through the gears. Lots of detail here, I know, but I want to make sure you have as much information as possible to hopefully take some of the edge off if you're going into your very first British driving experience. Now we've got the car, we've got you out on the road. Before we wrap up, I wanted to to share an app that I discovered while I was in Britain that takes a lot of the headache out of paying to park because there's a lot of situations where you're going to find yourself having to pay to park. And I discovered this app. I discovered it too late in the trip. I wish I had discovered it much earlier. It's called the Pay by Phone Parking App. I discovered it when I was in Brighton uh, where you have to pay to park nearly everywhere. Uh, In fact, in Brighton, I don't think I came across a place where you didn't have to pay to park, except for the Tesco supermarket, where you can get free parking with validation, which is pretty much the same thing as paying to park. Uh, The pay-by-phone parking app makes it super, super easy to pay for parking and also to extend your parking time. You can do it all right from your phone. There's a, a little bit of setup involved. You have to register your credit card as well as the vehicle that you'll be parking. There's an option to include a photo of the car, which I did. There doesn't seem to be any downside of including a photo. It should help eliminate any confusion among the parking enforcers. After the initial setup, though, using the app is super, super simple. You you park the car, you open up the app, and you either enter your location code, which you'll find displayed on a nearby sign, or you can simply let the app locate you on the map using your phone's location service. Then you select how long you want to park. The app tells you the cost. You click confirm. You're all set. Now, the most convenient feature of the app is the ability to add funds without returning to your car. You get a notification to your phone when your parking time is just about up. You simply open the app, you add time, confirm the payment, and you're good to go. Super, super easy. The first time I extended my parking time using the app, we were at the Brighton Pier, and we were probably about a half a mile from the car, so I was super, super grateful to not have to walk all the way back to the car to feed the meter. Once you get proficient with the app, which shouldn't take long, paying for parking and adding time takes about 30 seconds and maybe even less than that. And if you're tracking your expenses, all of the parking history, all of the charges get saved in the app and you can even request email receipts if you like. 
I alluded to this earlier, but the only downside for me with the pay by phone app was that I just discovered it way too late. Ideally, I would recommend downloading the app and getting set up before you even leave home, but definitely do it before the first time you need it. I was setting up the app literally there in the parking lot and that's just not the time to be doing it. Download it ahead of time, get set up. Obviously, you won't be able to enter the car information until you actually have your car, but the earlier you can get set up, the better you'll be. All right, my friend, I could go on and on and on and on and on about driving in Britain, but I'm going to leave it here for now. If you have any questions, man, I would love to, to entertain any questions or issues you have. Shoot me an email, Aaron at AaronSchlein.com. That's Aaron at double A-R-O-N-S-C-H-L-E-I-N.com. Or hit me up direct message on social media. I'm at Aaron Schlein. Let's talk driving in Britain. Let's talk traveling to Britain with kids and families. Anything you got for me, happy to talk, happy to chat, happy to answer any questions you might have. All right, my friend, that does it for the Driving in Britain wrap-up episode. We're going to be back here tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, and we're going to talk about lodging for families traveling to Britain. I will see you then. This is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio. I'm signing off. (laughs) It's amazing. I cannot get left. There's Big Ben kids, Parliament. <laughs> 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 <laughs>